It's been said that some people ask, who am I? And expect the answer to come from their accomplishments. Others ask, who am I? And expect the answer to come from what others say and think about them. But a person who dares to make and keep promises discovers who they are by the promises they made and kept to other people. That's a statement. A few things in life are as disappointing as being on the receiving end of a broken promise, right? We've all been there. And if we're honest, uh, we've also broken a promise or two in our life, haven't we? If we're honest. But one of the things that we learn about God, and this reveals a great deal about Him, is this, and this lays a foundation for where we're going today, and that is this. God is a promise keeper. God is a promise keeper. He is. While God is omnipotent, one of the things that He absolutely cannot do is lie. He is a promise-keeping God. His character, His integrity, they are impeccable, flawless. God is a promise-keeper. Over the years, I have found tremendous comfort, tremendous peace amid seasons of great trial and difficulty because of a promise or promises that God gave me before I was in that season. Because I know this about him, that he cannot lie. That he will not lie. Whatever God has promised me from and through his word, you can take it to the bank. It is as guaranteed as guaranteed can be. So here in 2 Samuel 7, God made some promises to David that simply blew his mind. And God's promises will do that. When you encounter God's promises in His Word, when you come face to face with God and you hear the voice of God through His Word speaking directly to you about something that He's promised, it will blow your mind. Uh, There have been times where I have literally sat speechless sitting before God with this book open as the Holy Spirit of God spoke to me about something that God promised me regarding me, my family, the ministry, whatever it might be. Because I know it is as good as done. Because God said it. Some of the promises that were spoken to David, some of them have been fulfilled historically. Some of them have been partially fulfilled. You can look throughout history and see that. But the scope of what was promised to David, we understand, ultimately is pointing to Christ and His millennial kingdom. That's where this is going ultimately. But these promises start in verse 10. We spent some time there last week. We're going to look at a little bit more today. But these promises start in verse 10 where God said, I will. I will. We should be familiar with Lucifer's five infamous I wills in Isaiah chapter 14. And at a basic level, this number five can be associated with death. You'll see that throughout Scripture. One of the things you see in the book of 2 Samuel is this mention of this phrase, fifth rib. 
Every time you see that phrase, fifth rib in 2 Samuel, someone dies. Okay? But the number seven is associated with completeness or perfection. It is God's number. So in 2 Samuel, starting in verse 10 here in chapter 7, through verse 27, we encounter seven I wills. Seven I wills regarding God's plan, God's will for David and the future. And these promises make up what is referred to, and it is a doctrinal gem, the Davidic covenant. It is a doctrinal masterpiece. And this covenant, it was an extension, it is an extension of the covenant that God made with Abraham. When you compare the two of them, you see that very, very clearly. But listen, as we work through this doctrinally, I would be remiss if I did not point out to you and me some promises that you and I can see in this that we need to stand on today. I I don't want you to miss this because we can get lost in the doctrinal minutiae of this and think, oh, okay, that's pointing to the future. It has nothing to do with me. Oh, no, there are some things that you and I must extract from what we're looking at and stand on. Verse 10. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. So the first promise was this. God promised a permanent homeland for Israel to dwell in safely. He did. That's the first thing that we see. And that was consistent with the covenant that God made with Abraham. And you see that in Genesis 15, 18. And as we saw last week, Israel has done something that no other nation has done in history, and Israel has done it twice. After losing their statehood, they became a nation again and were restored to their homeland. That is remarkable. But if this was a promise from God, then clearly it has not been completely fulfilled. It hasn't. Because of the 15 million Jews that are living in the world today. Only 7 million of them are actually in the homeland of Israel. As a matter of fact, there are more Jews in New York City and that metropolitan area than there are in Jerusalem. They are a scattered people, the nation of Israel. And when it comes to national security, Israel operates every day from the perspective or from the premise that they are engaged in a struggle for their very own survival. Why? Because the children of wickedness are still afflicting them. They are. But in the millennial kingdom of Christ as a nation, they will dwell safely in their land. Look at Hosea 2 and verse 18. And in that day... Will I make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven and with the creeping things of the ground? And I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth and will make them to lie down safely. 
Notice that phrase again, that day. We talked about that last week in terms of the prophetical implications when you see that phrase usually. But the focus of Hosea's prophecy, when you break it down and you look at the book of Hosea, the focus of that prophecy is on the national salvation and restoration of the nation of Israel. Hosea chapter 1 and verse 11 refers to it as this great day of Jezreel. That will be the day that Israel as a nation is saved or delivered, if you would, and restored. That is the day that they'll be able to lie down safely as a nation in the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. But in this first promise, here's what I want you to see. In this first promise, we find the promise of provision. We find the promise of provision. God promised that he would provide Israel with land and protection. That is the promise. Now, to some degree, Israel has and is experiencing this to some degree. Not to the fullest degree, but to some degree they have and to some degree they are. Because one of the strongest proofs, and this is, this is uh, something to put in your, in your toolkit, if you would, in terms of when you're having discussions with people and they're questioning the existence of God and they're questioning the validity of the Bible. Uh, here, here's just a, a tool for you to work with. Catch this. One of the strongest proofs of the existence of God and the validity of the Bible is the nation of Israel. No doubt about it. It is one of the strongest proofs of the existence of God and the validity of the Bible. Listen, nations have tried, continue to try, (laughs) and absolutely in the great tribulation, Satan will give it his best shot to exterminate the Jewish people. Half. But God has continued to ensure their survival. Hitler took a pretty good shot at Jews in Europe, did he not? Exterminated over six million. I think it was probably a lot more than that. (laughs) That's just me. The Islamic Republic of Iran is the world's largest state supporter of terrorism. And guess what they openly call for? They openly call for the annihilation of the nation of Israel and the destruction of the United States of America. Earlier this year, in an arms exhibit, they displayed a missile that had death to Israel engraved on it. Now, to show you the character of God and how trustworthy he is, because this is why I want you to get this. When God makes a promise, you can put everything on it. Everything. Because the reason that no one can exterminate the Jewish people is because of the promise that God made to Abraham and David. This is why. This is why the Antichrist and the kingdoms of the world and the Great Tribulation will not be able to utterly wipe them out, although two-thirds of them will die during that time. 
But God has ensured their survival because He cannot break His promise. He cannot do that. Apart from God, the promises found in His Word, listen, there is no other explanation for the survival of the Jewish people. There's no explanation. When you look at their enemies and you look at what's come against them and you look at what's going to come against them, there's no way that you can explain how have this people who occupy a land about the size of the state of New Jersey, how do they continue to survive? God is faithful. He's a promise-keeping God. But has God not also promised to provide for you? He has. Uh, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 8, And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Some believers struggle with this verse because they go, well, okay, yeah, I, I need food and clothes, but I need a place to stay too. Uh, what you're looking at here, when you see this reference to food and raiment or clothing, they're used figuratively to represent the basic necessities of life. Right? This is what you're dealing with. And listen, we must all be content and thankful for God's daily faithful provision. One of the things that, that, that really cripples us as Americans is we can be a very entitled and ungrateful people. I tell you, if there was anything in my children that I found to be absolutely disgusting and deplorable when we were training them at a young age, it was ungratefulness. I mean, boy, you talk about... You talk about uh, getting the engine started <laughs> on a rebuke. Listen, you're not owed anything. No, we are thankful. Uh, we don't get a menu in this house. Mom puts dinner on the table. God, thank you for food. And mom, thank you for taking the time to prepare it for us. Not, I don't want this. Really? I, I guess you must have a job. You must have a job. If you're going to think and speak like that in this house, I don't think so. But, but we're, we're, if we're ungrateful, we're entitled, and we think, well, man, I, I should have this and I should have that. And God faithfully provides, but it's just never enough, right? So let me issue a warning to all of us. Because in this country, it is so easy uh, to grieve God through the sin of ungratefulness. Instead of being thankful for food, we are ungrateful because there's not steak and lobster. Instead of being thankful for clothes, we are dissatisfied because it's not Gucci or Chanel. Instead of being thankful that we have a, a warm bed to sleep in, and we have blankets, and we've got uh, heating and cooling, and, 
Man, you open your fridge and you got options and you go in your closet and you got options and you go in your garage and you got options. Except, well, I don't like the zip code. God owes me nothing. <laughs> God owes me nothing. <laughs> Listen, everything from God is gravy. Everything from God is gravy. You know what that means, right? Okay, all right. What God would have us to know and remember is that, listen, regardless of the price of gas at the pump, regardless of the price of a gallon of milk, regardless of the price of eggs, which thank you, Lord, that they've come down. God says, I will provide you with everything that you need. He is a faithful, promise-keeping God. Here's the problem. We are so distorted over wants and needs that we can't identify the difference between the two. And this is what happens when you're entitled. When you're entitled, you think something that you want is something that you need. And God says, no, I'm going to, but listen, come on, let's just, let's just, come on, are you serious? How good is God? Man, he has blown the Morgan family away. It's crazy. It's gravy. I don't have the biggest house in Kansas. I don't drive the nicest car. I don't have the biggest bank account. But let me tell you, I'm rolling in it. I'm rolling in it, man. God is so good. Verse 11. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. So here's the second promise. A lineage through which the Messiah would eventually come through. And so as we saw last week, and we made reference to in terms of God making David a house, this referred to a dynasty, if you would, a family line, a lineage. That is the house that God had in view. And if you think about this great messianic gospel of Matthew, consider how it begins. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So as the son of David, Jesus Christ was a descendant of the covenant that God made with David. You see that very clearly. So he is part of that Davidic line, listen, which ultimately qualifies him as heir to the throne, which is why in Matthew's genealogy, you see it traced back to Abraham to justify that, Abraham being the father of the Jews. But in this second promise, we see the promise of posterity. And oh my goodness, do I need your attention here. The promise of posterity. When we're talking about posterity, we're just simply talking about the descendants of a person. 
It's a promise. And listen, listen. Spiritually speaking, we can also have descendants. Spiritually speaking, that is so critical. We can have descendants spiritually. Consider what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Earlier in this chapter, Paul referred to himself and his team as being like their father, their spiritual fathers, if you would. They were his spiritual descendants and they represented his fruit at the judgment seat of Christ. And here's what we got to take away from this. Because I'm going to share something with you that God desires. And when we talk about what God desires, we're always talking about the will of God. And whatever it is that God desires speaks to what you and I must desire. So if God desires something, God says, that's got to be your heart. That's got to be your mindset. That's got to be your will. What are we talking about? Listen, God desires to use us to make eternal descendants. That's what he wants. God wants eternal posterity. This is exactly what will happen, listen, if we win people to Christ like the Apostle Paul did. They will be our 1 Thessalonians 2.19. They will be. We will have spiritual and eternal descendants. We will. So, this is a good time for me to remind you of our faith position. What is it that we are trusting God for in Life Fellowship? Well, I just really hope the food is as good as it is today. Some of you might be thinking, like I heard an amen over here, I don't know who said it. Was that you? Okay. Yeah, it, it was really, from what I could tell, I did have a pineapple, it was fantastic, but it's a nice spread. Um, well, you know, I'm hoping that maybe, uh, you know, uh, hey, it's really good. Kenny won't be there next week, next two weeks, so this life is going to be great. Maybe, maybe you're hoping for that. But let me tell you what I'm trusting God for. I'm trusting God to see us plead with him. Us. This isn't, this isn't my vision. This isn't my thing. This isn't my will. This isn't, no, no, no. I am trusting God for life fellowship to get desperate before God for spiritual and eternal descendants. I am trusting God that He would use us to win people to Jesus Christ that will eventually be in this room with us and they're going to spend eternity with us. I'm trusting God to see this become a fire in your gut. Again, not because it's what Kenny said, but because God, I see it. (laughs) That is what you desire. 
And so God, because that's what you desire, it's what I desire. So God, would you do that or else I die? (laughs) You know, please hear me. Maybe not me, hear the Lord. If you can lay your head down at night as a believer in Jesus Christ, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and be okay with people around you who are Christless and are destined to split hell wide open for all of eternity, and you go through your life and you never evangelize, and you don't have a hunger or burden for the loss, please hear me. Something is wrong spiritually in your life. You and God are far apart. Far apart. If you can be okay with neighbors and coworkers and family members, and I mean, they're all around you. And all you can think about is, man, that's just too awkward for me, so I just don't do it. So let me get this right. You care so much about your comfort. That's preeminent. God forbid that you would be uncomfortable for five minutes. You, you, you know what I, evangelism, what I, what, I, what I always find is kind of like football or basketball when I play sports, right? Like before the game, like you're, I mean, you are as tight and tense. I mean, it is, but there's something after that initial, it's like, okay, it's on. I'm good. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> It's on. It's a game now. It's, it's you and me. Let's get it on. Let's go. And it's all different evangelism. The minute you open your mouth, say, like, okay, well, here we go. It's on. Let's... And God does what he does. I don't know about you, but when the dust clears on life fellowship to the glory of God, man, can we have some spiritual and eternal descendants. Not me, we. Amen? Amen. You know, just so you know, it is not any easier for me. Do you know that people don't care that I'm a pastor? As a matter of fact, they don't know unless they ask. But when when I engage the average person, it is no different than when you engage them. They don't go, you know, you sound like a pastor. I I guess I'll just, just to please you, I will say this prayer. I don't mean it, but it doesn't work that way. Whether it's a guy at my house servicing my HVAC unit or a a clerk at Quick Trip or whatever it might be. I'm just a normal, I'm just another guy who most of the time are like, please get this over with. I can be clunky and clumsy sometimes. But you know what? The power is not in any of that. You know where the power is? 
What does the Bible say in Romans 1.16? The gospel of God is what? It's the power of God. Not the power of Kenny, not the power of Mark. All right, verse 12. And by the way, let me just say, and praise God for Jesu. Here's a single woman who is uprooting her life to move around the world to a people who are not like her. Why? If I had to guess, she's trusting God for spiritual and eternal descendants. Is that right, Jesu? Yeah. Yeah. Verse 12. And by the way, praise the Lord. Uh, a man came to Christ in Olathe this week. Praise God. People, or someone came to Christ in Laramie. Countless gospel conversations. God is, God is hearing and answering our prayers. Can we just stay hungry and desperate? Can we? Man, that made my week. Made my month when I got that report. Praise the Lord. That's not a short trip, is it? But it was worth it? It was worth, what is it, 10 hours? Oof. I don't know. Maybe it's not. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not a road trip guy. I'm not a road trip guy. Uh, I want to get there fast. I'm not sure if I took a road trip with you guys that after 12 hours that we'd be speaking. <laughs> you might go, I, I think I'm done with you, man. Like, I, no, you're not fun to be around. Well, all right. I get a little crabby after a while, you know, cramped up in a car like that. So, all right, verse 12. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. So here's the third promise. A descendant who God would establish a kingdom through. And the seed that was in view here was Solomon, David's son, to come. And this Davidic family that God promised David would begin with him, with Solomon. But would you consider John 3.35? The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into His hand. God's love for His Son is mentioned often in John's Gospel. You can't miss that as you read through it. And with that love, with the love that God has for His Son, comes all the privileges of sonship. Uh, this is why Christ could say that all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Why? Because he is God's son. And all the privileges that come with that are his. So here's this third promise. We see the promise of privilege. What a promise this is. Before his unceremonious fall, Solomon's kingdom, in many respects, it was a picture of the millennial kingdom of Christ. 
Uh, one of the ways that you can see that, if you look in 1 Kings chapter 4, you can see there, I think it's around 34, somewhere in there, where it tells you that basically the whole earth was coming to Solomon to hear his wisdom. Uh, you keep going in 1 Kings, and the, even the queen of Sheba traveled a great distance uh, to hear about this wisdom of Solomon. Obviously, Solomon's going to build God a house. He's going to build a temple. And of course, during the millennial reign of Christ, you're going to have that same thing, where the nations will be coming to hear and glean from the wisdom of Christ as he reigns in the temple. But brethren, as believers in Jesus Christ, are we not a privileged people? We are a privileged people. Very privileged. Would you consider Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 4? But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Someone ought to say amen. amen. Man, we don't deserve, didn't earn any of that. God has loved us, quickened us, raised us up, made us sit, and wants to show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ. Does that not sound like a privileged people? Extremely. There's a phrase today that has garnered a lot of attention. White privilege. You may have heard it. But here's what I need you to hear much louder than that, as believers in Jesus Christ. I need you to hear this, please. None are as privileged as those who are so privileged to be the sons of God. If we want to have a conversation about privilege, let's have that one as believers in Jesus Christ. Because I don't care who you are, I don't care what color you are, I don't care what gender you are, I don't care what your educational background is, I don't care what class you are. If you are not in Christ, you are not as privileged as those who are. Amen. Amen. But by the way, you're welcome. <laughs> Please, we want you. <laughs> he wants you more than, than, than we want you. But none are as privileged as us. If you are to spend some time in a sheepfold, particularly where there are, there's a large number of sheep, eventually one of the things that you're going to run into is you're going to see uh, a lamb that's, that's running around that sheepfold with what looks like an extra fleece tied around their back. And that usually indicates that this is the lamb of, uh, um, of, of someone who has, um, um, they, they're looking for a mother, right? Their, their mother has, has, has died. 
And so without the protection and nourishment of a mother, uh, this orphan lamb is going to eventually die. And if you try and introduce it to another mother, it's simply going to reject it and butt it away because it doesn't recognize the scent. So what shepherds will do, particularly with large flocks, what they'll do is they'll typically have a female sheep that recently lost a lamb. And what they'll do is, is they'll take the hair of that lamb that died and they'll make a fleece out of it and put it on this little lamb that's looking for a mother and then introduce it to this surviving lamb. And guess what? It will recognize the scent and accept it. Now, I've probably butchered that to some degree, but those of you who are familiar with farming, you know where I'm going with this. I didn't grow up on a farm, far from it. Saw it on TV. Uh, but I grew up with smog and buses and trains and a lot of noise. But because of Christ, guess what? We are no longer aliens and enemies of God. We're not. Because of Christ, God recognizes our scent. Because He smells the fragrance of His Son. Listen, God now recognizes us as sons, and listen, all the privileges that come with sonship are ours in Christ. We are a privileged people. Very privileged. So listen, anyone in Christ who sees himself as a victim... Uh, anyone in Christ who is walking around moping about whatever is going on in the world and this kind of privilege and that kind of privilege and, and I can't believe they're cutting me off from this and they're depriving me of that and, and oh my goodness, that is so unfair and so unjust. Listen, the only way that a believer in Jesus Christ will ever think that way is because they are not standing on the promises of provision, posterity, and privilege. Because if you are standing on those things, guess what you know? You know that you are not missing anything. Why? Because everything that you could ever possibly want or need is found and provided for you where? In Christ. So I don't need anything from the world. The world doesn't owe me anything. What could this world possibly offer me, provide for me that I don't have in Christ? Can't. This was the fallacy of the fall in the Garden of Eden. It was fallacious because what was it that they didn't have? What were they missing? What was it that they could say, oh yeah, God, you've been really good, amazing, but you haven't given us this? No. Just like you and I, Colossians 2 verse 10, are complete in Christ, they were complete. They were not incomplete. There were no blanks that needed to be filled in. God had took care of everything. 
So there's a lot of noise in the world. A lot of defeated, discouraged believers. Why? Because they don't know the promises of God. They're not standing on them. When you stand on these promises, you will be content. You will be at peace. You will have joy. You will be thankful. You will enjoy life. Why? Because of how good God's been and how good He is, Lord. Help us to not just know these promises, but to stand on them. In Jesus' name, amen.